The real story behind Spider-Man. Okay, what am I doing? This isn't how we start these episodes. Ah. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. I am your decoder of truth. Sounds like we're starting like a right-wing podcast or left-wing or whatever, you know, anything politically extreme where if, if anyone in the political space says anything about exposing the truth, just know that they're probably a little bit biased in, you know, one direction or the other. If you're reading some politics that looks really boring, that's probably more centrist. <laughs> Anyway, what are we talking about? Decoding the Unknown. Yes, this is that show. I am Simon, your host here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you to Kevin for putting together today's episode. Kevin, we love you. Oh my god, Kevin's episode, the one where it was the game, where we did the... If you haven't listened to this one or watched this one yet, basically, Kevin, who wrote this script for me, did one where it was like he made five stories for me. Five, uh, some were real, some were fake, and I had to guess which were which. And I was like, this is the fa my favorite thing I've ever made. I was a little bit nervous to put it out because I was like, this is really different to what we do. This is really different to what I do. Like, I'm like an internet fact boy. And I was like, we we're just playing a game. And everyone loved it. And I was like, sweet, Kevin, we must do more of this. That's not relevant, what are we talking about? Yeah, today's the story behind the real Spider-Man. No idea what this is about if you're new here. You probably left already because you're like, what is all this waffle? Uh, the format is, Kevin has written me a script. I'm going to read it. Let's just crack on, shall we? I've never read this before. Did I say that? Let's go. In my 11 years working at a comic book store, we never knew what was going to walk through the door. Actually, that's mostly a lie. The town had strategically positioned three halfway houses within a block of us, so most of what walked through the door were transients and vagrants who wanted to spend four hours wandering around deciding what CD or DVD to spend their $3 on before spending the rest of the day at the convenience store next door playing Kino. I do not miss retail. What's Kino? I don't know what Kino is, and why would all these people spend so much time in the store? Is it where Kevin, if I remember correctly, is like from the northeast, so it could be just cold. So they just, but then they're in a halfway house, so they have heating. It's not like just they're they're just homeless people who come in because it's warm. Why would you do this? I'm sure there's a reason. Like this is probably exactly one of those times where everyone in the comments that Simon, you are so out of touch. It's actually unbelievable. And I'll be like, let me know the reason why these people just wander around stores. Uh, I'd like to know. I'm sorry if I'm being out of touch. I I don't I don't. Pub. There's a word for that, where you purposefully do something even though you don't really think it, and I can't remember what it's called, but I'm not doing whatever that word is. I do know his retail still would get pretty exciting finds once in a while. One day, a little old lady came into the store with two garbage bags full of funny books that had belonged to her husband. Oh my god, this is gonna be like some, uh antiques road show style shit where there's an unbelievable clip on youtube where there's a guy and he brings in a watch and he's like oh i don't know i, I had it valued a few years ago they said it might be worth a few thousand dollars and it's like an original patek uh pocket watch uh with like the reverse opening case back and all this shit. and it's like massively fancy and the guy's like it's worth a quarter of a million and then it goes to a quarter of a million dollars and then it goes to auction and it sells for like millions millions of dollars and this guy's just like holy shit. i thought it was worth like two grand and now he's a millionaire so the woman comes in with her funny book she was actually referred to us from another comic book store down the street that wasn't interested in her trash their mistake normally when an older person refers to comics as funny books they either have a collection of disney funny animal or archie books which have very little value compared to superhero comics this was not the case here in Inside those trash bags was an absolute array of Silver Age comic books that we paid thousands of dollars for. We sent several of the books off to 
CGC, the uh, premier comic book grading company. There we go. And one of the books, Lois Lane number four, wound up being the highest graded copy in the world. Oh my god. This is like, do you guys watch um, that show? with the porn shop um there's clips of it i watch these clips on youtube like when i have my lunch porn stars or like when they have these i, I don't know there's something about it isn't there just seeing these discoveries or is that just me i guess not because there are entire tv shows based around this so it's not just me when the ebay auction ended we were so surprised by what it sold for that we contacted the woman to let her know what happened and pay her an additional thousand dollars like simon we believed in capitalism but without being dicks yeah so i said i got another channel and this is like something that comes up all the time because we often do like stories from the news or whatever and it's like capitalism is fine but capitalism when being a dick is not fine like there's so many cats it's like capitalism like, fucking hell it all goes wrong when it's when you like a capitalist and a dickhead situations like this were rare normally the stuff people wanted to sell was not that exciting but it was far from the most exciting thing to ever walk through the door a man entered the store carrying a briefcase and saying that he had some comics he was interested in selling he unlocked the briefcase opened it up and inside was a small but extraordinary collection he was like the real life big daddy from kick-ass but the comic book version not the version in the movie star Nicholas Cage, who we all know from the eponymous National Treasure. Sitting on top of the small stack of comic books in the briefcase was none other than a high-grade copy of Amazing Fantasy No. 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man. Unfortunately for us, the guy wanted way too much for it, so we were not able to make a deal. Spider-Man has been Marvel's most popular and successful character for decades, quite possibly since his creation. I don't understand that. Like, I don't understand the popularity of Spider-Man. Of all the superhero movies, and don't get me started on whatever Marvel, like the, the, the Avengers Although, that's one of my, like, Superman, pretty good. Batman, love that shit. Iron Man, love that shit. Pre pretty much outside of that, like, Hulk, nah. Thor and all that shit. It's too, it's too fantasy for me. Even though Superman is literally like a god. Yeah, Spider-Man is always just like, he's kind of like, I don't know, I just... I never really got into it. He always got, why is it the most popular one? Wait, Batman's not in this crew, is he? He's in the other crew. DC, right? I don't know. Wait, is Superman there as well? Maybe Superman's there as well, because the Superman versus... Who the f*** gives a shit? Not me, that's for sure. Let's carry on. But that sort of data from the 1960s is difficult to find. Before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the only Marvel character who could compete with the popularity of Spider-Man was Wolverine. But since Wolverine has this nasty habit of killing people, his sometimes mature content cannot compete with the popularity of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Whenever a creative work reaches the height of popularity, the question is inevitably asked of the creator, where did you get the idea did i make a video about this recently today i found out i got the feeling that yes i did although i don't remember anything about it because sometimes it's in the eyes and out the mouth the other day i was recording a video and this is like bad to admit but whatever if you're new to me to my cinematic universe nah, nah, that sounds very pompous um it, I, I make some other channels and i was recording a video and I realized that my camera wasn't on, so I just recorded the whole bloody 20-minute long video without pressing record, which sometimes happens and is extremely disappointing. And as I'm recording the video again, I'm like, some of this is completely new to me. So I know that while recording that video, I phased out to such a degree that I don't remember reading words that I read half an hour ago. And yet I watch the video back. I can watch, and I know this happens all the time, and I watch videos back and it's like, boy, it does seem like I know what I'm talking about, doesn't it? Or sometimes it's just like blah 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 blah. My brain is just like do ba dum bum bum ba dum ba dum. Fans of our friendly neighborhood fagged boy are no doubt aware that today I found out recently, that's another channel I do, recently released a very similar to this video two days ago at the time of writing. So, it's been like months ago, because Decoding the Unknown is so far recorded ahead. 
It, it could literally... I'm recording this in February. This will probably be coming out in, like, July. Which is obviously where I got the idea. This script is not me throwing shade at their channel or the writer of that episode. As it turns out, I quite like working for Simon. Everything reported in the episode, or at least a few years ago, was considered to be true. In case you did not watch their found out, shame on you. Here's a quick rundown of the facts as presented. Spider-Man was created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. The extent to which each man was involved in the creation is a matter of debate. Stan Lee has multiple different stories for which he got... Oh, I remember this video. Stan Lee was changing his story all the time or some shit like that. I'm not phasing out during this because obviously this content I'm much more engaged with because I kind of keep like a running comment track going along with it. But like, I don't know. Dude, we made a video about Lord of the Rings like last year or some shit. And it's like, oh my god, it was so painful. I'm just like recording because I don't like it. I don't care for it. I have no interest in it. It's just like, and then Elamir went to Elfendorf and then the elves with this and there was another like uh, midget or whatever. Like, no one cares. No, I just, oh my god. <laughs> it's like, my brain. Stanley has multiple different stories where he got the idea, and at this point, he can't even remember himself which one is the truth. The underlining theme is that he was pretty much out of ideas for new superpowers and then decided that someone who could climb walls would be cool, which it is. Because comics were becoming more popular with a younger audience, he decided to have Spider-Man, a high school student who had to deal with normal teenage problems in addition to fighting crime. The publisher thought this was stupid, and the superheroes needed to be godlike and infallible, like Superman, and the teenagers could only be sidekicks. The publisher was wrong and Superman is boring as fuck because who on earth can relate to an extraterrestrial god with zero life problems and an unwavering moral compass? Oh, Kevin, no! I much prefer Superman over Spider-Man and I don't know, like, I'm, I was never super into this comic book stuff, but Smallville, mwah, I love that show. And I, wait a minute, am I just saying, like, I'm just kind of supporting Kevin's argument because that was Superman as a teenager and young adult dealing with teenager and young adult problems while also being fallible because he hadn't developed all of his magical powers yet. Why do I like that so much, but find Spider-Man fairly dull? I don't know. Also, I feel like this, it's like Spider-Man. I feel like I've seen that movie like a hundred times, and each time it has different actors somehow. It's weird. It's like he gets bitten by a spider in a lab. I've seen that scene acted by like, I don't know, so many different actors in so many different like ways. It's like, why? Why are we keeping it? We're making the same movie again. It would be like if they just recast Titanic and filmed it again. It'd be like, why? What's going on? Can't we come up with something new? We did it. With the the skinny guy and the girl with red hair. I can't remember either of their names. Is Kirsten Dunst? That Spider-Man. That generation. That was the first one I saw and I was like, cool. Done. Don't need to see any of the others. Andrew Garfield? Never seen it. Never will. I know the story. If I want to watch a movie again, it's going to be a movie I really like. Holy shit, that was a long tangent. So long, I've completely lost my pace. One extremely annoying shift later. Because it was going to be the final issue anyway, Stan Lee got to throw an 11 page origin story for Spider Man into the comic, concluding with Stan Lee as the narrator and not Uncle Ben, saying that with great power comes great responsibility. That issue sold extraordinarily well, and so Spider Man was given his own book, and then another, and then another, ad infinitum. Yep. And then over and over again. That's a quick synopsis of the facts presented. And officially, this is the story that Marvel is sticking to. Given our society's unfortunate lack of mind-reading technology, the only way to find out how someone develops an idea is to ask that person, or perhaps consult their early notes or sketches, if such a thing exists and is available. The problem is that the man you're asking is Stanley as the Thomas Edison of comics, a shameless self-promoter who slapped his own name on anything and everything that came across his desk, regardless of his involvement in it. I don't know. 
sometimes I feel like this. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Script comes onto my desk. I read it. My brain goes, bumpity bum bum bum. And people are like, look what Simon made. And it's like, I had very little to do with the creation of this thing. I just like... <laughs> Happen to be there being like, uh, 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 uh. I just, I, I just happen to be really good at reading. And not even that good, honestly. Not even that good, am I? Am I saying that Stanley and Thomas Edison are talentless hacks who never had an original idea in their lives? Of course not. But it can never be known how much of what they created was actually an original idea or just work stolen from Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, or Nikola Tesla. If you want to know the real story behind their ideas, you have to look much deeper than their own accounts of things. That or invent mind-reading technology. Well, Kevin, I suppose you better get started on that mind-reading technology. Days of future past. Ooh, I have an image. It's a weird Spider-Man-looking suit that looks like my two-year-old would try and come up with for Halloween. Uh, no, my two-year-old's not that talented. I mean, she just mostly... Lately, she's got really into just crossing out faces, which is kind of haunted. Like, working for a new book. <laughs> and she'll get, the, like, a coloring book. She's two, so I don't think it's too weird. But she just gets the crayons, and she goes through the book and just scratches out all the faces. And I'm like, that's some horror movie shit right there, kid. Like, what are you up to? Stop it. Then I'll, like, draw a picture of myself, like, my bald head and glasses and a beard. And she'll be like, Dada! <laughs> just scratch out my faces. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> What do you think when you look at this Halloween costume, Simon? I'm guessing you think it looks like some low-quality knockoff Spider-Man outfit that some poor child's parents bought them because they couldn't afford the real thing. Nah, Kevin, it's so bad. I thought that a kid made this. Oh no, is this actually the real first Spider-Man outfit? Or is that how it was designed? It looks f***ing bad. <laughs> this is Stanley's creation. And then he just does someone like, yeah, can you polish that up? And they draw like a beautiful like Spider-Man with his big eyes and his big red spidery spiderweb costume. Stanley's like, look at what I made. And it's like, yeah, all right, Stan. <laughs> sure you did, mate. Uh, that's certainly what it looks like to me. It's crude, but everything is there. The web pattern on the costume, the spider on the chest, the mask that covers the entire head instead of just the eyes. There's just one small detail. Amazing Fantasy 15 was published in 1962. The comic is from 1958, and it wasn't the first. What? Uh-oh. In 2006, a collector from Massachusetts, John Simino, acquired a lot of Spider-Man costumes. Included was a costume similar to the one above, but all yellow instead of with the black limbs. He assumed it was a Marvel-branded suit, but upon further investigation, it was not. Extensive research revealed that the costume in his possession had appeared in a 1954 catalogue from Ben Cooper, Inc., Halloween costume company of the time. It was a full eight years before the comic book character existed. It must have sold reasonably well, because every year through 1962, Ben Cooper released a similar but slightly updated Spider-Man costume, including the 1958 version seen here. Wait, so... This is 2006, 1958. So, okay, so this was found before, basically. So this is could served as, Stan, as Stanley's inspiration. I feel this is one of those things that he could have seen it and then just, like, subconsciously been, like, fascinating and then not thought about it again and years later come back to it and made Spider-Man, having no memory of this. Like, he could totally... This is something I worry about because I make so much content and I listen to so much content. I'm really concerned that I'm going to steal someone's joke someday because I'll be, like, talking about something and I'll, like, make an aside or a comment or a thought and someone will be like, well, you know, this podcaster or this YouTube channel said exactly that like three years ago and we know you like them. I'll be like, oh my God, I do. And it's like, I just thought like I listened to so much of their stuff. I internalized it so much that and I agreed with their opinion and then I'll spout it and say like, I think this is my original thought even though it's not. And then I'll be like, cancelled. And I'll be like, I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just know it's going to happen because already it's like, 
I'll say something and I'll be like, I'm pretty sure I'm not that funny. I don't think I made that up by myself. So I'll just like be like, cut that out because I don't want to accidentally steal someone's joke. Could this have just been a case of parallel thinking? It's very possible that multiple people working independently could develop the same idea, like Isaac Newton and Gottfried Leibniz discovering calculus or Amy Schumer and every other comedian she allegedly stole jokes from. This would be an extremely plausible answer, if not for the reach that Ben Cooper had. Founded in Brooklyn in 1937, Ben Cooper Inc. was not just a Halloween costume company. They were THE Halloween costume company. Really, guys? This? This was the costume company? I mean, shit. We had low standards in the 50s, didn't we? By the 1960s, they reportedly held 70 to 80% market share of the Halloween costume industry. Good God, that's insane. That is jaw-droppingly insane. Yes, it is. A 70% market share is a CEO's dream. By contrast, Coca-Cola has a 43.7% market share and seemingly ubiquitous Apple's market share only hovers around 25%. Yeah, except Apple's not ubiquitous because there's so many PCs. Like you walk into any office that's not either run by hipsters or, you know, people working in creative industries. It's gonna all be PCs. Because you don't need, like, Mac to run Excel. Ben Cooper Inc. ultimately filed for bankruptcy in 1991 and was bought out by a competitor in 1992, but I'm sure it was a wild ride. So, okay, Kevin, these numbers are fascinating, but this isn't a Brain Blaze episode, so what's your point? My point is that Ben Cooper's costumes were everywhere. The Spider-Man costume was popular enough to have been issued and updated year after year, and again, can we just return to the fact this was popular enough? This costume? I, I'm in the wrong industry. If this... It, I, I need to go to like 1960s costume design because the company that made this had an 80% market share. I mean, come on. It's a, it's crap. It's crap. And did I mention that their headquarters were just 10 miles away from Marvel's offices? In case you aren't smelling something fishy yet, in 1963, long before Spider-Man had achieved mainstream popularity, Ben Cooper released the first ever licensed Marvel Halloween costume, Spider-Man. Why would a company that had already produced a Spider-Man costume for nearly a decade pay to license the mostly unknown character from Marvel? To add some fuel onto the conspiratorial fire, Simino wrote to Steve Ditko in late 2014 asking about the similarities between these costumes and his Spider-Man design. To be fair, Simino wasn't doing it because of conspiracies or for some gotcha moment like Marvel. He was just a really big fan who wanted to know as much about the history as possible. Wait, was Simigo the guy who designed this? In the... Isn't he dead? Well, I know. I guess not. He could still be alive. He'd just be really old. Although this was... 2000, it was like eight years ago. When Ditko replied in 2015, his letter simply read, The burden of proof is on the person who makes the assertion, claim, charge. Some clippings, etc., are not rational proof of anything, but some clippings, etc. Okay. <laughs> he sounds like he got that thing. It was like, oh, shit. This guy's not curious. He's fishing for a lawsuit. And to be fair, that's a completely reasonable reply from a large company because it's like, yeah. If they're like, yeah, I know, right? I know. It's really similar. Then they'll be like, okay, that's that's record. We're taking that to court. This strikes me as more than a bit deflective and suspicious, but it could just be how Ditko was. It's how his lawyers would advise him to be, Kevster. He was notorious both for not wanting to talk about Spider-Man and for being a recluse. You know, the kind of recluse whose personal and work address are both listed in the phone book and who would almost always reply to fan letters, even if just to say how interested he was in talking about doing whatever it was they were asking. But still, something about that doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, I, to be fair, that's not an unreasonable. Like, I get letters from any letters, emails from fans, like, all the time. And obviously, I can't reply to them all because otherwise, that's what I would do for my life. But sometimes, you know, if it's a particularly, don't send me emails. <laughs> 
but I'll, I'll reply occasionally, like depending on, you know, it's like, ah, oh, just having a coffee, let's, let's hit it up. And uh, yeah, I'll reply and then I'll say like, people will ask me to do shit all the time. And I'll be like, no, just I can't. And it's not like I'm replying and saying no because I'm a dick. I'm replying because it's like, okay, I got a minute, I'll reply. Isn't that better than not replying? Which is what I do most of the time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm really busy. <laughs> like a family and shit now. I used to be way better at email, but now it's like I go to work. I fucking work, 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 work. And then I go home early if I can. Theories. One theory is that this was really just a case of parallel thinking. This seems extraordinarily unlikely to the point of being virtually impossible. The only way this could work is if Lee and Ditko created the character completely unaware of the costume and then the costume maker, rather than Sue, politely called up Marvel and brokered some sort of deal with them. There was an extremely strong case for a lawsuit and this is America, so while technically possible, this seems a little far-fetched to greet. The second theory is that it was accidental. Stan Lee's children were born in 1950 and 1953, so they would have been trick-or-treating when Cooper's Spider-Man costume was out on the streets. Ditko did not have a wife or child, but considering what a friendly and communicative recluse he was, he probably opened the, his door candy on Halloween. Either or both of these men could have seen the costume either being worn by a child or in a catalogue and forgotten about it, with the idea somewhere in the back of their minds when it came time to create a new character, they could have subconsciously drawn on the image they had seen and unintentionally plagiarized it. Yeah, I think that's what I was talking about earlier, and that's as someone who is... <laughs> definitely a non uh not accidental plagiarizer like i never knowingly plagiarized something i'm sure that i've accidentally said stuff that is i don't know <laughs> have i i don't know it's complicated that's what i'm trying to say is that's what i want to believe now you may be thinking, hold on, that's hardly plagiarism. It's not like the costume had any sort of backstory. Well, no, but also kind of yes. The Halloween costume had a mask that covered the entire face, something unheard of for superheroes at the time. It was also being worn by children and possibly teenagers who were out looking for free candy. The whole radioactive spider thing, the robber killing Spider-Man's uncle, and that sort of thing, they definitely created on their own. But the very notion of a spider-themed superhero was not an adult, and the majority of the look of the costume itself could have been derived from their recollection of the Halloween costume. Yeah. Look, I mean, as Kevin said in the first argument, this is way too similar for it to have been parallel thinking. I mean, it's just way too similar. They're too close in time. They're too close in location. The Halloween company is way too popular. I think it was subconscious. I mean, it's definitely intent. It's definitely a copy of some form, but the intentionality is what I'm now twisting around in my mind. The third possibility is that the idea was stolen maliciously. They were out of ideas for characters, but they had seen this costume and they liked it, or the idea of it anyway. The Ben Cooper costume was pretty rough, and for some reason it was colored like a costume for Bumblebee Man, but clearly Steve Ditko is a better artist than whoever created that costume. I feel like my two-year-old is a better artist than Cooper. <laughs> Not really. She just scribbled out his face. They liked it, and so they took it. They changed the color and made it prettier, perhaps hoping it would be legally distinct enough to avoid losing a lawsuit over, but they still intentionally copied the costume they had been seeing every Halloween for years. Then, after the first issue was a success in 1962 and Spider-Man got his own book in 1963, it was time to act fast. They had to get out in front of this thing before it took down the empire they were creating, so they reached out to Ben Cooper to strike a deal for that year's line of costumes. Perhaps they offered exclusive rights to create licensed costumes free of charge or some other too-good-to-be-true offer, which Cooper took not realizing that Spider-Man would go to be a billion billion dollar asset 
that they should probably have been fighting harder for. Yeah, but you don't know it's going to be a billion dollars. So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Finally, there's the little matter of Jack Kirby, the other Marvel artist who claims to have created Spider-Man. Kirby did preliminary work for the character, though Ditko definitely liked to downplay his role. There is a chance that Kirby designed both the Marvel character and the Ben Cooper costume. Kirby and when working with another artist, Joe Simon, but they split up in 1954. Simon went into advertising and Kirby is believed to have been doing freelance work. While trying to make enough money to get by, Kirby could have approached Cooper to pitch costume ideas and offered to make an adaption of Joe Simon's Silver Spider, a comic he had pitched to Harvey Comics in 1953 and then rejected. This is like unlikely, right? This is very speculative. This would fit the timeline and it would make it possible for Kirby to have designed the costume for Cooper while then redesigning it eight years later for Marvel. Neither time would he have been given any real credit for it, but he took credit in multiple interviews, so he clearly felt he deserved some. Still, this is all speculation and there is no real evidence that Kirby had done freelance work for Cooper, just the costume itself, their close proximity, and Kirby needing money. Speculation! It's either it was intentionally stolen or it was accidentally stolen. I personally want to believe it was accidentally stolen, but who knows? Maybe it was intentional. Probably we'll never know. Wrap up. I'm honestly not sure where he lands on this one. Yeah, same. Same, Kevin. I can't believe it was just a coincidence, that's for sure. But was the idea for Spider-Man stolen by Marvel? Or did they accidentally create something that they had seen but weren't consciously thinking of? Even if it was an accident, I'm inclined to believe that someone at Marvel realized what they had done and then they were the ones to, con to contact Ben Cooper first. Yeah, this all seems like super above board and legitimate and good company behavior. Perhaps Kirby had designed the costume for Cooper and despite being largely cut out of the process at Marvel, warned them about the impending lawsuit they could face from his earlier design. I'm not totally convinced, but if you think Jack Kirby designed both costumes and got completely dicked over twice, be sure to get in the comments and let me know. With Stanley, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, and most likely anyone at Ben Cooper who was still part of the agreement they made all being deceased and with Cooper out of business, we will never know. There is no one left to set the record straight, and so the true origin of Marvel's most famous character will forever be a mystery. Perhaps there's some secret file buried somewhere in Marvel's vaults that holds the answers to the secret, but Disney's far too busy cashing all their checks from the MCU to give a shit about trying to uncover something like that. Yeah, their motivation for doing that, to do something like that, is zero. <laughs> And Disney likes money! Bonus facts. This bonus fact section is for anyone born after the year 2000. Oh, that's not me. That's young people. 22. Oh my god, it's so wild that someone born in 2000 is now 22 years old. Holy shit, Whistle, you're getting old! You know how creepy it is to get a phone call from someone, maybe even someone you've only met once or twice without having given them your mobile number? And what sort of crazy stalker they have to be to shove to your house? As it turns out, this wasn't always the case. As alluded to earlier with the elusive Steve Ditko, there are these things called phone books. They show up at everyone's house or apartment, and they have the name, phone number, and address of everyone in your town. While they still exist, these phone books are mainly just items to be torn in half by magicians but we actually used to use them and it wasn't considered completely weird or creepy at all that is true that is super weird that there was a book with everyone's phone number in it these days i guard my phone number it's like no <laughs> like companies are always asking we have your phone like Fuck off no because you then you're gonna phone me and it's like we need a phone number i'm like well oh my god guess what guys my phone number is 777777777 and then you sometimes you'll click it and it'll be like that's not a valid phone number like, okay i'll make up a more legitimate sounding number guys fine and the guy with that actual phone number is like who is this who keeps signing me up for stuff and also, why can't I sign up for stuff on websites? I remember though, my family, because you could make yourself ex-directory. And my family, yeah, we weren't in the phone book because 
My dad was a doctor and he didn't want his patients to be able to just look him up in the phone book and be like, oh, there he is. <laughs> Let's give him a ring at home. <laughs> Number two, I mentioned earlier that Spider-Man had a lot of different books, far too many to name. Oh, Marvel loves, oh, okay, that's the end of the phone book thing. <laughs> it's like Kevin's just like, yeah, phone books were fucking creepy. Uh, like, yeah, they were. And that's it. I mentioned earlier that Spider-Man had a lot of different books, far too many to name. Marvel loves, loves to cash in on whatever character or franchise is most popular, giving them as many as a dozen books running concurrently, although usually capping out at four or five. Wait, does books mean comics, or is this like some sort of book about Spider-Man? A books? I guess he must, it must be comic books, right? Think yes. The derogatory slang for Marvel fans who would mindlessly purchase all of these books and not anything by another company was Marvel Zombies. On the 1st of January 2006, Marvel released issue one to six of a six-part series called Marvel Zombies. It was written by Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead, and it was the first comic book I ever read. It was also phenomenal. Number three. Speaking of Marvel and zombies, in 1973, Marvel decided to file a trademark on the word zombie, and it went over exactly the way you'd think it would. It's like when those guys tried to trademark React. Like, all React videos will now have to give us money. It's not how it works. <laughs> what are you doing? And it's also, you're like public figures, and now everyone thinks you're a dick. The trademark was finally challenged in 1996, and it was cancelled being too broad. This begs the question of why the fuck it was approved in the first place. How do you trademark a word that has been in the published world since at least 1810? That would be like getting a trademark for the word candy or something. <laughs> or the concept of reaction videos. Number four. What could possibly stand in the way of Wolverine overtaking Spider-Man's popularity? And on an unrelated note, have you ever witnessed what happens when a dangerous mutant power is awakened? Professor X created a school to teach adolescents to control and utilize their emerging powers. This is the X-Men. I've seen these movies. Mostly because they had Patrick Stewart in, and they were actually a bit of a laugh. But what if one of these kids developed a power that's too dangerous to simply wait until they can control it, like a mutant who could create an uncontrolled nuclear fission reaction with their bare hands? Well, since getting humans and mutants to live together peacefully is Xavier's number one goal, and since a disaster caused by an uncontrollable mutant would damage human-mutant relations, that's when he sends Wolverine off with a six-pack of beer to sort the problem out for the good of humanity. As Wolverine's been telling us for the past 40 years, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. I feel like bonus fact four here was exclusively for people who are really into comics because i'm like okie dokie um this has been an episode of decoding the unknown thank you so much for watching it's been a pleasure to have uh, been here with you not really i mean it was it was great i enjoyed doing this but you're not here with me i mean you are but it's weird it's very one-sided this conversation we have isn't it um if you would like to make it more two-sided look at that transition look at that leave me a review wherever you get your podcasts if you're watching this on youtube leave me a comment smash that like button and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.